Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Hey, we're back. It's Now and Again. It's uh, Volume 12, March 2003. Uh, Nico's back. Hey, Nico, what's up? It feels great to be here two times in a row. It's just a glorious thing. Uh, if you if you missed last week, you missed the awesome announcement that Nico is going to be here on a much more regular basis. Basically, uh, a co-host on Now and Again. So congratulations on your promotion. It just... You know, I'm just super excited. I love uh, love getting a chance to talk about pop culture and the way it shaped me. And I kind of think the way it shaped the world in general Um, and things that people don't realize that these these, these little pop numbers are actually like really cool and really amazing. And there's something special to them and the people who made them uh, and so many forgotten Mm -hmm. gems. So it's just cool to get to talk about it more often. Uh, I will say something I've been thinking about, especially now that you're on more regularly, is I do feel like it sucks that episodes get recorded so early and that's you know, a little behind the scenes peek. That's for my sanity. Trying to crank out a certain amount of editing on a timeline of like every two weeks um, can be pretty tough. So a lot of stuff is recorded in advance. But it means we can't like talk about pop culture as it's happening. Like if I made uh, like an Instagram hot dog joke right now, when this episode finally comes out, A, won't be funny. B, people will have found out that like the hot dog guy had some really serious thoughts about Hitler and you know, will look real bad. Yeah. Uh, with that time delay, we are a day removed from the R. Kelly, uh, might have a super creepy sex cult thing going on, and, you know, if we talk about it now, you won't hear it until September, October, but let's talk about it anyway, briefly. I, I feel terrible because my first thought was, oh my god, he's got these girls trapped in a closet. Oh. And I felt, I felt so bad, but also I'm like, I, I think kind of because I literally can't process it. It's one thing because, when I think about things that celebrities have done and, and the way we've just sort of kind of like, oh, dee dee dee, washed it away. Pretty sure Leif Garrett was involved in an accident that left a guy paralyzed. Yeah. And he was a dude in the 70s. Uh, Brandy killed someone with her car. That's all kind of, you know, a thing. I just feel bad that we've kind of gone on this minor R. Kelly's music redemption tour over these last 12 episodes. You know, separating the art from the artist has always been a tricksy thing, but uh, I, t- I just do feel like we should acknowledge the fact that we've been talking about how, how good his music is for the last year. Which, you know, to be fair, it still is. Yeah, no, it's just, it's unfortunate because R. Kelly's always sort of had uh, a questionable reputation. He was where I discovered you could get married at 15, and where I discovered you could get uh, pulled over for driving with your stereo too loud, then the whole pissing on girls thing, it's... <sighs> and and maybe a little bit how kind of off the deep end he went a, a little bit with Trapped in the Closet. Yeah. And it's, it's just unfortunate, because you want to root for the dude, but yeah, he definitely makes it damn difficult. I think Ignition was going to be an omission in a couple of episodes. Maybe maybe I'll slip something else. Uh, in there. We'll, it'll be the remix to Emissions. I was about to say, you're just going to have to run the remix to Emissions. Yeah. Yeah, I had to scoop you on that. But yeah, sorry about our uh, effusive praise for R. Kelly. Uh, we don't condone any of his actions, just really good music. Uh, who'd have thought a guy like me, who was tricked into donating to something called the Jared Fogel Innocence Project, $5 a month, you know? Who'd have thought I would make a bad decision about another celebrity? I think it was a thing I read where, like, people love celebrity gossip because we want to believe the worst things that people were jealous of. 
I think there's a clear America does a thing where it builds people up just to tear them down. Sometimes they bring it on themselves. Uh, Chris Brown, R. Kelly. Sometimes, like with Britney Spears, we just, you know, bask in watching someone's self-destruction and mental breakdowns. And then we cheer on their redemption because I think maybe at the end of the day, what we do love is a redemption story. 100%. Uh, Want to jump right into it then? Absolutely. O three, 3 Bonnie and Clyde, Jay-Z featuring Beyonce. And hey, who'd have known Beyonce and Jay would be where they are right now? Uh, you know, I think they did. Yeah. The level of performance they both bring at all times in general, but specifically here, is just really incredible. I think they do a really great job always. I mean, it's, I mean, you're literally talking about two of the biggest celebrities of all time on one of their earlier collaborations before they ultimately got married and had an army of children. It's just very intense to think they kind of always knew that this was their level of celebrity they were going to achieve. Because <laughs> they, they're, it's in their performance. Do you know what I mean? By this point, Jay-Z is already a pretty established guy, yeah. and Beyonce had already been known for her time in Destiny's Child, but this was her trying to come into her own as a solo artist in this era, uh, and, you know, it clearly worked, because Queen Bey is synonymous with, like, yes, and, like... Yeah, exactly. Neither of them are the deities they are now. Right, and but, like, they're both such powerhouses in their own right. Not to mention, we've got some Kanye West production on a Tupac sample. Like, how can you miss with that combination? Yeah, no, I mean, it is it is certainly a, a, a we-are-the-world kind of situation. Seven songwriters on this track. That never bugs me. No, I mean, because it's a sample, I think everyone who has ever touched this gets, uh, gets a call-out on. There is a song that has even more writers on that coming up, and it's shocking how many people it takes to write a bad song sometimes. Yeah, um, you know, and I think that's because of the nature of... The, re- the nature of the way the recording industry has their their hand in every stage of the song, you know what I mean? It, oh, yeah. You see these these songs that are de- – everyone's decided that song is going to be the next big hit. And so now everybody has to strangle it to death. And I think something – like Shares Believe had, had some bizarrely high number of co-writers. And uh, normally I would have a fact like that prepared. Mm-hmm. But um, like in terms of like beginning to end – uh, people who ultimately aren't credited anymore because their contribution had been removed from this, you know, kind of right. stuff. Like, like you know, if, if you went back through all of the drafts of whatever major blockbuster movie ended up being a spectacular failure, let's say, I don't know, like, it's 03, maybe I've gone to see the movie Van Helsing in theaters by this point. Like, you see that and you're like, how does this movie exist? And then, like, you find out that it went through 13 different drafts from eight different writers and they still decided that they would fight through that to fart that movie into theaters anyway in the hopes of making some sort of profit. Sometimes it's easier to lose money at the box office and fulfill all of the contractual obligations you've made as a studio uh, for tie-ins and products and toys and promotional stuff. Sometimes it's easier just to flop the movie than to go back and be like, oh, well, we got to renege on all these deals. The old producer scam. I have to believe they don't set out to make a bad film. I mean, Tara Reid, star of the Sharknado franchise, is on a music video from this album. Uh, which does remind me and make me think that there are people who set out to make bad movies. But that's an aesthetic now. Right, but that's that's an aesthetic. I don't think anybody said like let's 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 purposely make Van Helsing bad. No, I don't I don't believe that is what actually happened. Uh we get Whitney and Bobby references in this song. We get a cool call and response yes, chorus that I dig, and we get 
But I say, and we get a call out to Carrie Fever, because Sex in the City was such a thing. It really, really was. Uh, I actually ended up for one of, like, I had a TV criticism class and I had to write an essay about Sex in the City. Um, better show than most people realize for a chunk of it. And then a worse show than a lot of yeah, people realize. Yeah, fucking, fucking love it. Worse show than most people want to admit. I, you know, it, she never should have been with the Russian. And I kind of feel like everybody knows that. Wait, are we doing like relevant pop culture topics again? And we're talking about how you should never be with Russia? <laughs> yeah, no, it's all cyclical. Just rubber band that joke right back together. Um, I think one of the things about O3 Bonnie and Clyde that, that really stands out is it's kind of like, in retrospect, they were sort of like, we're going to play in our fanfare, see in a few. This was their introduction as a power couple to the world. And it's, they've been on top ever since. I don't think there's been, I don't think there's been a month where one of them wasn't in the news since this song came out. Absolutely. And both have, both have really transcended just the idea of rapper or pop singer as well. They are entrepreneurs. They are, uh, actors. The first lady was asked if she could have any other job in the world, whose job would she want? And she said Beyonce. Yeah, that's saying something. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Michelle Obama. First lady Michelle Obama. I'm sorry. I'm still, I don't, I have trouble, so. I, th- I think we all kind of figured that out, yeah. I think we're going to hear from these two again somewhere down the line, uh, possibly. I'm not sure, but I think uh, we'll be revisiting at least one of these two. Did you notice a lot of flamenco guitar throughout this edition of Now? Because the next song, Bump 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 by B2K and P. Diddy. Also has a lot of flamenco guitar. Kind of forgettable. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sick but of B2K. I, I remember, but you know what? Fuck that. Fuck that. I don't think I can call this song forgettable because it's 14 years later. I probably haven't heard it in 12 years, and I just sang part of the chorus off the top of my head. I had that note, too, is that this is the first song by B2K that has at least a hook that you can kind of remember. Um, it's their best song so far on an hour, but I'm still kind of sick of these guys. Um, but it's clear here... Now, I don't know if they're at the end of their run. I feel like they are, since the boy bands have kind of started to to die out to begin with. This video has the same stuff that we were seeing when NSYNC was breaking up, where it just became the Justin Timberlake show. This is like Omarion getting the P. Diddy rub, and he's just everywhere in this video. Like, they already know he's going to be the breakout star from B2K, and it's very evident. I totally agree. Um, I think part of the problem is somebody naturally emerges as the superstar. Somebody organically does come to the surface. Now, I'm not saying it's because Chris Kirkpatrick is very average looking outside of the context of NSYNC, even though I am. That's kind of what it is, because it, as terrific as it would be that every single impressive guy was like, like, like literally like an Ubermensch and like, Superman and could is was gorgeous and could dance and could sing and could also to some extent act and communicate really genuinely because that's another talent that these guys need. They need to be able to communicate genuinely with the camera when they're talking. Some guys just have phenomenal motherfucking vocal ranges <laughs> and uh, they get into these groups and some guys just sound really good blending with the much more talented one. You know, there's probably some racial context to it that the members of B, you know, that B2K being an R&B based black group didn't get the same kind of access and exposure as five pretty white looking guys who are all, in fact, white. It's sort of the natural order of things. Eventually, Rob Thomas is like, no, I need to go record a song for Meet the Robinsons, guys. I'm sorry. You guys are just going to be Matchbox 19 now. 
Yeah, Gwen Stefani yells out to the members of No Doubt who are cleaning her pool, like, yeah, I'll be right back. I'm just running to the, the store for about the length of time a tour would take. You guys keep <laughs> doing that. And I don't mean this insultingly, but I don't think any of us kind of think, oh, yeah, the other members are No Doubt. They have a whole lot of shit going on for them when they're not in No Doubt. And, like, I hate to put it this way, but, like, I would be like, yo, you need a drummer on this tour because, like, I'm not right. doing anything because you're kind of like, you don't want to do it this summer. And that's totally cool. I wouldn't always want to play with a mariachi band either if I could also dance with a bunch of really pretty young Asian girls. But if you're not doing anything and you need to hire a drummer, it would be really cool if you would just give me a job this summer. Thanks so much. I love you, Gwen. Bye. Like, that would be how it would go. And like, I bet she gets, like, six of those voicemails every day. Oh, <laughs> The whole horn section from their first album is still just like, Gwen, you owe us 20 bucks from that one time. Uh, it's cool. Uh, I, I, I saw you on The Voice, so I think you probably have it. But if you could just Venmo me that 20, it would really help me feed my pets. I really need to get out of this Malo cover band, for the love of God, please. I'm so tired of playing Suavecito. Please, please, please. Like, it's cool to go on tour and to have that success, but it also has to suck to just be the bassist from Paramore and be waiting for the other shoe to drop at this point. Nothing compares to a quiet evening alone. Uh, let's move on from B2K. Uh, Jenny from the block. J-Lo. Uh, this song is just so unbelievably tone deaf. I can't believe it exists, but I'm completely not surprised it exists. Jenny from the Block is an interesting song. My pa- my mom is from my mom is from the Bronx, mm-hmm. right? And um, my mom was watching a behind the music or something about J Lo, and she's talking about her gritty background and stuff and where she grew up. And my mom was like, "To be completely honest with you, where she grew up is where like we would look longingly at and be like, if only we could live there, things would be better." And like. Mom was like, if she's from the block, I'm from the sewer. And like, oh, wow. It's, and here's the thing. My mom's not from the sewer. So like, I'm not saying there's anything inauthentic about J-Lo. I'm... But 12 writers and three producers on this song to churn out something that I think maybe for the fourth or fifth time among her singles on now has been like, look, I'm so real. I come from New York City. I'm just a regular person, like you. Ignore the fact that I'm in a relationship with Ben Affleck and have been in a ton of movies, a famous singer, and rich as hell. I'm still Jenny. If maybe you hadn't insisted on starting to go by J-Lo, and now you're introducing Jenny, and I kind of want to be like, what do you want to be called? Got nothing to say about this song. <laughs> it's, it's, it, there's this. I don't know. It's just fucking. Yeah, this is like. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, this is this is soundbite. I think the problem with Jenny from the block is that it's asking us to buy something that she's tried to not sell us for some significant period of time. She has been trying to sell us high fashion, high couture, very expensive J Lo um, as as this as this diva as this as this leader of hollywood and uh who's just dabbling in music because when she's bored she just puts on like you know a tank top and dances and sings some dance music and now all of a sudden she's trying to be like hey i'm authentic i'm genuine don't forget i'm just like you well no you tried to sell me on something that isn't that you're just like me terrific thank you but you don't wear your sunglasses 
you wear expensive designer diamond-encrusted sunglasses. And don't try and tell me that you're still Jenny from the block, because you're certainly not Jenny who's going to stop by the bodega tomorrow and, you know, have to chase the bodega cat away because you're allergic to cats. Right. It's it's almost offensive. It's like a slap in the face. And uh, maybe one day on a podcast, some people will talk about Geely and go more into the uh, Benefer version one. Um I don't know. Maybe someone out there will do that. Who knows? Next up, Don't Mess With My Man by Nivea. Don't mess with my man. I'm gonna be the one to bring it to you. Um, you start. I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you on this one. I'm gonna I'll take it at halftime. Uh, it's a really cool, fun song performed by somebody who I maybe think was told to underperform it by the producer. I don't know, but uh, because I can't speak to the rest of Nivea's. Um, I thought Nivea was a brand of water. Uh, I can't speak to the heart of Nivea's talent. This is actually the only song I know by Nivea. It's a really fun, cute song. Makes me want to kind of shimmy shake. Um, and I think it just sounds a little bored. There's something about the video and the performance and the lyrics that really reminds me of those vanity videos, like where, um, like Rebecca Black-esque kind of a rich dad pays for her daughter to get this for her 16th birthday kind of thing. And then that becomes her real, and she's not gonna go to college unless it's Tish. And she, if it's not, she's just gonna start right in New York. She's just gonna go and she promises you she'll start at the bottom and she will get that equity card within the first two years. And, you know. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be Rebecca Black. Um, and I can't imagine what it would be like to talk more about Navia, so. <laughs> Me neither. Um, cool. Speaking of cool, and you was my good girl that wouldn't give it up. I can't let her self destruct. Baby, smile today. Cause I've been imagining Oh man, LL, Cool J. Uh, our first, I think, our first artist on a now to have both survived uh, Shark Attack and Michael Myers Attack. So good on you, LL. And he's so beautiful. Those abs in this video, good lord, he could have been a pro wrestler. That every part of him, that every motherfucking part of him, oh, he's perfect, oh my god. I mean, if you're not at home rubbing your hands together and licking your lips, you're not doing this right right now. No, but I'm, I'm, uh, he, he's doing it and doing it and doing it well. Uh, so are the Neptunes, because they're all the fuck over this. Yeah, uh, but I do think what does stand out is this is kind of a dumb song. It's interesting. This, to me, stands out a little bit from a lot of R&B songs, and we're going to see something like that later with a more established R&B group when you compare them directly to B2K. There's a maturity here. There is a confidence here that separates the song from its contemporaries. I don't know if it makes it better, but it makes it a little bit more real, which to me makes it a little bit more memorable. Like, he's talking about, like, having kids and stuff like that. This is uh, a way more thoughtful song than, like, disposable song about banging 14. Yeah. It's forgettable. I mean, it doesn't compare to early era LL Cool J at all. Like, we're we're kind of at the back catalog, the NCIS era of his career. Okay, yeah, this song is just super forgettable. It's It's sweet. It's soft. It's... You know, it's even got, like, a really forgettable title. Yeah, it does. Um, LL's, LL's great. He's super hot. Uh, he raps really well. 
he sells any performance he's in. He is a great showman. It's why he can lead TV shows, multiple TV shows. Uh, you know, I mean this in the best possible way, but I can't name too many black bodybuilders that have uh, led multiple TV shows. Uh, and here's this guy doing it for 20, 30 years. Yep. And you can't argue with that. He's fucking awesome. He's a really great guy. He gives back to his community. He's very generous. And he's a good guy. We're going to give this song a pass. Yep. I'm down with all of that. Nelly, Air Force Ones. Yeah, let's let's talk about something here. Right? We've talked about this idea of what is selling out on this show before, and we were like, well, it's Blink-182 being a goofy pop-punk band that no one knows about, and then being a goofy pop-punk band that everyone knows about. Is that selling out? We said, no, probably not. In three episodes, since it's already recorded, we'll talk about is what Liz Fair did selling out, going from this indie artist to an artist who is clearly making a mainstream album that is completely changing her sound, if not so much her spirit. And maybe, and we might talk about that. Uh, I think Nico has some words. Uh, the, the ghost of the ghost of podcasts already recorded. Um, but so then, that sounds like the ghost of bad orgasms. That just sounds ridiculous. That was just like a horrible noise I was making. So then we follow it up. Is writing a song that is just a four-minute commercial jingle selling out? And I think that's the closest to a yes that we could possibly have so far. <sighs> okay, can I actually say a thing? Yes, of course. I think I'm revisiting my thoughts on the Blink-182 thing, and I think I am going to say they did a little bit on purpose sell out. I think Blink-182 saw an opportunity to cash in on a market and create a little bit more marketable sound to dads who used to listen to Black Flag and Rancid and now needed something that they could listen to with their kids. So I do think that Blink-182 intentionally sold out, but I think they did it for a good reason. I think they did it because it was a market, and Mm -hmm. it's not bad to create and pioneer a market. If you are able to pioneer a market, you are creating a significant amount of business. You are helping generate the music industry. You're making people think it is okay to sell out, and we should maybe take the idea that it's not okay to sell out away, because if you're not trying to create art that does something, then, you know, it's, it, well, I mean, you know, far be it for me to tell everybody that they have to create meaningful art. I think one of the things is that the, the black community in America has been culturally held down and, and left to, like, actually be legislated against into poverty. I don't know that I think a black artist rapping and a huge element of rap culture is gaining prosperity. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know that this is selling out. I think this is actually achieving the dream. I think this is, um, I think this is Nelly. Being such a motherfucking success, he can write songs that are commercials. I think this was the goal and the dream. I don't think this is selling out. I think this is achieving. Um, Nelly never claimed to be going out for Poet Laureate. If Common wrote the next McDonald's themes, the next McDonald's I'm loving it jingle, we would we'd have a conversation about how I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> but I will, I think there are jingles that are better than this song. Like regardless of if it's selling out or not, this is not a good song. Oh no, the song's terrible. But I do think the idea behind it is pretty impressive. That you know, this is I do think there's a cultural component to making this shit cool. I mean, he probably got himself Air Force Ones for life. Oh yeah. I mean, I could write a song about... Wait, that just did happen. I was going to say I could write a song about Seltzer and be very happy to get it for life, but that guy just went viral with that LaCroix song. Never mind, I take it back. Damn, Daniel? I don't know. Those guys? Uh, I have no idea. Oh, my God. It's this meme from, like, two years ago, 
And every day this kid came in in like really cute shoes. Hold on, let me actually ask my, my viral expert husband, Kevo. Um, Kevo, what did damn Daniel always come in in? Fresh kicks, right? That's what it is. He always came in in cute shoes or some shit. Yeah, white kids. White kids. So this kid, Daniel, walked to, like, came into school every day in white kids and he, um, he, his friend took videos every day coming up to him going, damn, Daniel, always looking fly in your white kids. Damn, Daniel, looking sharp. And like, and it, it, it went inexplicably viral and they were given, um, lifetime sh- supply, like some number of pair of shoes every month for life, yeah. uh, from whatever shoe brand it was because it was so. It's the Nelly Grift. But wait. These two fucking 16-year-olds were like, we're never going to need that many shoes, and gave it to an orphanage instead. Oh, that's awesome. It's the coolest motherfucking story ever, actually, and uh, that's why I'm not too worried about the next generation, because those kids were just having a good time and just wanted to document their good time. They're actually legitimately non-dangerous, wholesome, funny, good time, and were rewarded for it by because they seemed so fun and kind that so many people wanted to be part of it and their response to being rewarded for their good time was to make it so that other people don't suffer that's like literally the definition of awesome fucking people that almost in my mind redeems air force one in the most parallel roundabout way uh i mean it doesn't actually but that is an awesome story yeah um, I will say two things about the video that I really love is I love the rapper who just wears like a Phantom of the Opera mask. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like if I knew I was going to be like a, a third stringer in the St. Lunatics, I would also try to come up with a wrestling gimmick that got me noticed. Uh, and that one is pretty great. I also love the Foot Locker Girls dancers uh, in this video because it is just really, really obnoxiously stupid and uh, deliberately dumb. And I can't help but love it, um, despite the fact I think the song is a blight. Yeah. I have nothing more to say. Cool. Let's go to an actually, like, really good rapper with Nas and Major Look. Stay laced in the best, well-dressed with finesse in the white tee. Looking for white meat. Thug girl who fly and talk so nicely. Put her in the coupe so she can feel the nice breeze. We could drive through the city, no doubt, but don't say my car is topless. Love it. The song fucking rules. Yeah. We are after or like in the middle of the second round of the feud between Jay-Z and him. I think ether has already happened uh, and that word has like made its way into our cultural lexicon. Um, the production on this track is insane. Nas is great. I'm so happy he's showed up on this even for a second. Because, you know, it's possible Nas being on now is selling out in a way. Nas kind of represents something. Yeah, I mean, I can guarantee that. He didn't put himself on now, though. Like that's yeah, that's that's more what it is. And if he did, it was because they rewarded his artistry handsomely. It is. I am really disappointed that he's kind of he's kind of gone away. And um, we talked about that with Eve. That it was industry fuckery that kind of made her disappear. Same thing seems to have happened with Nas as well. I mean, maybe you know, it's a case of you come at the king, you best not miss. But like, I thought the Jay Z and him beef was pretty squashed by now. If beefs are ever actually real. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, I thought I had more to say there. I don't. Or maybe he decided to focus on other stuff. Or maybe his deal's just not as lucrative as it should be. And it's not worth what he's getting back and he can't get out of it. I don't know. I know what you're saying. 
I do know what he you're saying. He always show up on an album and do a couple of bars for a lot of money. He popped up on the, uh, I'm looking at things he's done recently. He popped up on a, a Mariah Carey album. He popped up on the Hamilton mixtape. No thanks to that. He's just not really around anymore, especially when you compare it to our next artist, uh, Snoop Dogg. Featuring, of fucking course, Pharrell Williams with Beautiful. Like, Snoop Dogg is a guy who's just allowed his career to get to the point. He's cool with it. Where he, he can stop trying, he's in, like, kind of retirement phase, but he will t- also take a shitload of money to just show up and lazily spit out a couple of bars on your track, but the name just carries. And he'll bring his best friend along. He will bring Martha Stewart, <laughs> and y'all will have an amazing lunch, because they really are really good fucking friends, and it's weird. But I love it, and it makes me very happy. It's not that it's weird, it's just the idea of these two celebrities coming together creates like a parallel dimension in my mind, but that's because I forget how like multidimensional celebrities are. They're actually people, and they are both celebrities who I believe... Um, have done some amount of trial in their life. I actually think, I don't know if Snoop's ever gone to jail, but I know Martha did. Yeah. You know, they at least have a connection there. That, that, you know, that they've stood on trial. They both are CEOs of companies. Yep. They both worked hard for what they have. They are, or were at one point considered the peak of their industry. They both inspired numerous clones. Hmm. So I don't not understand why they wouldn't be friends when i say all of that like that but it's a great example of awesome interactions uh but to the point this song um this song is one of a handful of songs like shake uh shake your ass this uh that that did get the world used to pharrell yeah um he'd been in fucking charge behind the scenes forever and now all of a sudden he's on your radio and he's sounding fucking great the, the bridge of this song, the chorus of this song, so good. And it's, it's one of the most recognizable, amazing, phenomenal, uh, opening kind of vocal stylings. Yeah, that falsetto, anytime it shows up in a song over the next 15 years, um, like, you know exactly who that is. But, but that, but those opening bars, those opening bars though, dude. Pharrell is such an amazing composer and songwriter. He he's so good and clever. I just I I don't know. I am in love with this song. I'm in love with his performance in this song. I think it's an example of some really great talents coming together and executing something really amazing instead of spoiling the pot. Yeah, I'm just super into Snoop Dogg like doing anything. I love that he's you know we talked about it. He's kind of in this late stage of his career where he's just like fuck it, I'll do whatever. I love that. I love seeing celebrities who are just like yeah, whatever. Um, he's currently hosting a alternate commentary track for a weekly UFC show. Like, there's the regular commentary on one channel you can watch where it's, like, people who are fight callers. Like, that's what they do. And then you can switch to Snoop Dogg with Uriah Faber on another channel and just listen to his commentary about two men beating each other to a pulp for money. And it rules! I love this. Yep, there's a good compilation out there, and by now there's, you know, it's it's months into it. The first one just happened. By now there's probably 10-minute compilations of his awesome calls by now. Um, I thought Snoop Dogg was, like, ride-or-die Oakland Raiders guy, because he's wearing Chiefs and Chargers jerseys in this video, and that shit'll get you killed in Oakland. 
I don't think you kill Snoop Dogg. I think if you take a shot at Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg loosens up into some bud and smoke. And the bullets pass through his semi-arboreal and gaseous form. And he reforms and he just goes, nah. <laughs> he's, he's the Baba Dog? Kind of, yeah. He's the Baba Dog. I, I think Snoop Dogg is gonna outlive us all. I think it's gonna be Snoop Dogg, Cher, and Martha Stewart in like 2,000 years. And it's gonna be like an end of Big Brother, three people vying to get into the final two. It's gonna be really fascinating watching these people decide that they just all hate each other and try to, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Snoop Dogg, uh, great song. I think, like you said, those opening bars, I think a lot of people don't know where that comes from. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's the song and it's a pretty good one. Again, we've kind of talked about early 2000s hip hop and R&B maybe not surviving as well in a time capsule. Um, but the Neptunes production, I think, does elevate this beyond that. It does make it have a little bit longer of a shelf life. And that might be because we're still hearing remnants of that production style today. Yeah. Well, not even just remnants. We're still hearing them do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Happy sounds a lot different than a lot of what he was doing at this time. Fortunately, I mean, I think Happy kind of sucks, but he's the, the idea that spirit, there's always going to be a Neptune's kind of sound, even if it's just Pharrell on his own. And it's going to be slightly identifiable. When an artist has a style, when they're not just an artist who copies what's like out there, one of the things about Madonna is she does not have a unique style. She is an artist who takes on many forms. So... It's really difficult to put a bunch of Madonna songs in a blender, put in like seven different vocalists. And you know what I'm saying? Like, it would be hard if you did not hear Madonna's voice to always identify a Madonna song. Yeah. I think something that people don't know is that uh, Madonna kind of came in at this time when Cyndi Lauper was on a high and her, the record execs actually pulled Cyndi Lauper out of the limelight for a little bit because they felt she was getting oversaturated and they felt like if they pulled her back, for like a year, they would explode out and like with a huge hit, um, and everyone would be like, "Where's Cindy Lauper been?" Uh, but you know, someone else that Madonna just sneaked in in that downtime, and she really was when she started, kind of very, very Cindy Lauper esque. People don't realize, like, people don't want to remember Borderline and stuff like that. Well, and I think one of the thing about uh, when, uh, self-titled Madonna with "Burning Up," "Borderline," and I don't know why I can't remember the other single from that one. Um, Starlight, Star Bright, is that on there? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. You know, it, she did have some hits, but they were so generic. They just sort of sounded like whatever crap was on the radio. Then, Like a Virgin came along, and I kind of think a lot of Like a Virgin just sort of sounded like whatever crap was on the radio. And even, like, Material Girl, I understand Material Girl is this unique piece of music, and it has such a unique sound that it stands out, but, like, half of the 80s was obsessed with the 50s and 60s, so I don't really think it's that significant i think she contrasted being a virgin and virginal in the wedding dress with the name madonna like there's nothing about her that wasn't a phenomenal like study in in how to piss people the fuck off and she was always really great about fucking with you with her imagery like a virgin you know burning up was a hit and starlight starbright hit but like it's when like a virgin the the, the mtv music awards in the dress Touching herself, rolling around mm-hmm. on the stage. I grew up in a post that world, so I'll never know what the pre like world that yeah. was like. And then True True Blue sort of you know capitalized on the idea that she could play into different genres. And then Papa Don't Preach was sexual again. And I think she played a lot of different roles really well. I think you always know a Pharrell song. I actually think it doesn't matter who's singing it. You know a Pharrell song. 
uh, I'm, I, I, it's hard for me to talk to my friends, not all my friends, but like a lot of people because I don't care for Ed Sheeran. Okay. Yeah. I, he's someone that I will experience for the first time on air, basically. Oh, what's funny is he kind of is super into making the music I also make. So, you know, he is definitely one of my influences in that he shaped the way music sounds for the last few years and that, you know, shapes me. So, you know, I can't say that Ed Sheeran doing something that I'm super into doesn't influence me, but um, <clears throat> I find just him profoundly boring. I uh, I saw a bunch of people mad at the internet because he had a cameo appearance on Game of Thrones or whatever. Oh, who could my give God, a shit? who cares? Just let the man do this thing. He He's had these hits. I don't have to like his fucking music to know that you... And like, okay, okay, okay. I don't know when it became all right for people to take shots at celebrities to them on their on their Twitter. And I just want to be like kind of sort of like what kind of small dicked cuck are you that you need to get your yayas out attacking a person who's done something super significant with their life. And I'm not saying that you haven't, but like I feel so bad for the fucker that he had to quit Twitter the other day because of the Game of Thrones backlash. You Jesus just want to be like – because, like, he was just like, the comments were getting so horrible, and one really, truly horrible comment is enough to ruin your day. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Who can fucking blame him? Because, you know what? I don't have to like his music to be like, leave leave Britney alone. Should have just merged the nerddoms and made Ed Sheeran Doctor Who actually see nerds' heads explode? No, he's British. They would have been fine with it. Oh, yeah, he's a white British dude. Shit. I actually didn't know Ed Sheeran was British until right now. Uh, I hear this Ed Sheeran song this one time on SNL, Sing, and I'm like, holy shit, this song is great. I fucking love this. Wait, no, it's a Pharrell song. It has to be. And I went to the internet, and I'm almost positive it's a Pharrell song. Hold on. Let me look it up, because what if I just embarrassed myself horribly? What if – let's find out. Let's find out, bro. Stay with me right Mm -hmm. here. Ready? Yep, there's Pharrell in the image for the uh, video – Yep, 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 yep. Wikipedia says producer Pharrell Williams. Yep. I feel validated. It was written by them together. Oh yeah, and he's background vocals. I, right? I mean, yeah. like, I, I, I don't think I like an Ed Sheeran song. I think I like a Pharrell song by Ed Sheeran. Right, that makes sense. And we've talked about Dre, how he's a very, uh, he's a producer with a sound that is easily identifiable. And I think, like, I appreciate that. I like being able to know what's a Timbaland song and all of that when you hear it. Uh, but I kind of – it makes me appreciate a guy like Kanye Moore who adapts to the performer's style uh, in a way that is – that seemingly a lot of these guys are either incapable or unwilling to do. Or perhaps these artists really just want a Pharrell song. I, I mean at that time, is that just like the endorsement being on a Pharrell song is enough to launch you into the stratosphere in 2004? Probably. It's, well, actually, I will tell you. There was an – and this is really funny. In – 2002 or 2001 there's an album by a woman named shay seeger called the may street project and um i thought it was a great album and i couldn't figure out why it didn't take off and why she's a nobody and no one remembers her and she's gone but pharrell did a remix of one of the songs on there and i think they thought that would be enough but nah well you know who else pharrell produced an album for and uh, never blew up like uh, we thought he should. Uh, now and again, favorite Kenna. Yeah, Kenna. That's a great album. Make sure they see my yeah. face. Highly recommended. So good. 
Well, we can have a one-song break before we have to talk about Pharrell again. But let's talk about J.C. Chazay blowing me up, parentheses, with her love. So it's impressive to me that I have heard this song, and I think it's... I think it's really schizophrenic. I think it's them throwing a lot at what they, I think they don't know what JC is yet. So they're giving him a lot of ideas and none of it ever really comes together. But I think it's a testament to him that I haven't written off every possible song he can make just from this because I think it's that bad. You know, uh, this was on drumline that shows in the video. They have a, um, they have a marching band kind of breakdown in the video, despite the fact that the the production doesn't support that at all. The production actually has very anemic drums throughout. Yeah, it's just forgettable. I think it's a big mistake to make him sing talk throughout the verses. He's not good at it, and he's got a voice. His talent is his phenomenal range. You know, if you were leaving NSYNC, right, and you were leaving what is considered one of the most successful boy bands in the world since the Beatles. Yeah. And you needed to compete with Justin fucking Timberlake. What would you do? You would show off your versatility and do stuff you've never been able to do before and try and get attention for it. Yeah, I try to go as far away from that as possible, especially when you see him, uh, as we'll see on the next song, really embracing his Michael Jackson influences. I guess this song just, maybe he was getting the second string producers too. I mean, he clearly doesn't have the Neptunes. But this song's production really does not help him in any way. Uh, this is actually Dallas Austin, who's like a name. Oh, you know what? I did see that in my research, and I was surprised, because this misses. It doesn't work for me at all. And I just, maybe I'm seeing, maybe I'm disappointed that he's just going into this not singing thing here. Because throughout, it's like he's just doing this creepy sing-talk into your ear whisper song kind of voice, and I hate it. Yeah, it's Holy shit, the name of this album was Schizophrenic. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, okay, there you go. Does he have better songs than this? Not really. Oh, well, R.I.P.D. Anyway, let's talk about Justin Timberlake, because he's way better. Uh, and I believe I had said I thought this song was going to be on here. Yeah, uh... The song is so fucking great. Pharrell. And you know it right from the jump street. This sounds like them. This has that this has those uh this has those drums. That is one of these standout things from any like if you're looking if you're looking to be able to identify what a Neptune's track is, just listen to the drums in this song. Yeah, and the uh, unique sound on the synth. Um Yep. This was Justin saying, I make R&B, get over it, deal with it, sorry about it, I don't want to make boy band music, I want to make R&B, this is R&B, this is what I'm going to do, get out my way, uh, this is what I'm making. But he's not trying to reinvent the wheel, he knows where his strengths are, and both him, his performance and the production are playing off of those, instead of, I guess, trying a whole bunch of other things that maybe will work. He never, he never experimented early, he just went straight for the continuation. It's also always nice to see some early 2000s clips show up. But then that maybe says that the continuation was Justin Timberlake, because by the end it was Justin Timberlake, so the response to JC's 
Our response, our tepid response to JC's solo work might really just be a tepid response to JC's being given an opportunity to explore what he wants to sound yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. But what is interesting is um, JC kind of went more digital electronic and, and Justin went a little bit more r and And JC continued to work with BT and did a song on BT's studio album uh, after doing Celebrity. I believe they also did some songs together, the two of them. And... Uh, so this being an extension of where they went with the exception of Dirty Pop, which doesn't sound a whole lot like the rest of the album. Yeah. This sounding like the next phase of Justin Timberlake makes sense. Uh, the next phase of NSYNC makes sense because JC's shit doesn't, which means that by the end, NSYNC was the Justin show and it was better for JC to get away. Yep. We're going to see that separation between the one who got big and the other one uh, in a couple of tracks because we've got uh, some Destiny's Child yeah. uh, solo careers coming up. Uh, before we move on, I just want to say about Clips, um, if you have never heard the album Hell Hath No Fury, uh, this might be a recommendation in like 2006 when we get there in a bunch of episodes, um, but that album is absolutely awesome. Pusha T's verse on Kanye's Runaway is like one of my favorite guest verses ever. Um, though that album is full of awesome guest verses. Um, but yeah, Clips is awesome, and um, don't sleep on them. Uh, Alright, next. More, uh, I guess, what the kids are calling EDM these days. We've talked about how I don't really like it in the past, but this is telepop music with Breathe, and I actually really like this. Yeah, it's a great song. It's like a legitimately really, really, really great song. I think everybody's got those songs that they can just keep on repeat. Like, you can just hit repeat one. If that wasn't the case, they wouldn't make that an option on every motherfucking thing that they make. And uh, I think this is one of those songs that I can just keep on repeat for weeks. I love this song. You you talked about how um, Days Go By uses the limitations of dance music and it's like inherent repetitiveness to kind of evoke a feeling. And I appreciate that, and I I understood what you were saying there. The feeling here, the mood and the tone that this invokes and how it makes you feel, um, this is what separates this to me from, like, the Fat Boy Slims or fucking Blue that we have had. And I know someone will say, like, oh, it's a different type of dance, and I'm sure, I know, I know it is, but uh, I'm a pleb in regards to that. Um, it's the feeling of this song, that it evokes some sort of feeling where a lot of what we've heard so far does not. Yeah. Um, this song is really emotional, really atmospheric. It, uh, it doesn't just want you to feel it. It wants you to experience. Production is fantastic. Oh yeah. The way, but I say the way pieces drop in and out and the way they come back and they come back different ways each time. Um, that first time it drops out really intensely and then it comes back in and now it's got the noise over everything, right? Oh, yeah. And then it drops out again and when it comes back, it's got that noise over everything and um, then it gets that really crazy sounds like sneakers and basketballs in the Holland Tunnel kind of noise. It's just a, it's an amazing piece of music. Uh, it It's evocative. It's atmospheric. It is um, one of those examples of a band who should never have been famous for anything in this world because our music industry is impossible to penetrate, uh, but managed to get a really great piece of music out there. I love this song. Uh, I think it's really catchy. It's it's definitely a song that you don't think you've heard until you've heard it. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, maybe I maybe that was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. 
or something. And, you know, I think it actually... Or a hotel lobby somewhere. Yeah, you know, the supermarket. Yeah, and, you know, that sounds like a dig at the song, but it's not. I've said before, I don't think this genre of music are a lot... I've said before, the worst songs in this genre are not meant to be listened to. They're just meant to be heard. And I think this is a song that you could throw a pair of headphones on and just kind of vibe to. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah, this is a good get stoned and do some editing song. Hell yeah. Um, Drew Hill, I Should Be. They, you know, 90s R&B acts, compare it directly to, you know, like a B2K, they sing the hell out of their tracks. 100%. To a fault sometimes, probably. It gets a little hard to take seriously. It sounds like they're all competing in the last minute of this song. An important thing to consider about Drew Hill, this track is from 2002, Unleash the Dragon by Cisco. Was yes. 99. Yeah, he's back with the boys. So I think it is interesting to consider that he had an album in 2001, Return of the Dragon, and then he had a whole bunch of stuff with Drew Hill for a very long time, and then he did an album a couple of years ago, 2015, and I only point this out because... I'm maybe not sure why Cisco says that this is his final solo album. I kind of think you're always risking sounding like a dummy. Yeah. If you make a big deal about how this is your last album before you make it. LCD sound system. Uh, how many times have these dad bands had their final farewell tours? I feel like there's been like 17 Kiss farewell tours, four Who farewell tours, six Rolling Stones ones. Yeah, you know, I think as long as you don't die, you get the right to do one more farewell tour. But I I, I think it's time to start calling them Towards the End Tours. Mm -hmm. To be fair to Cisco, do you think there was a point where going back to Drew Hill and not having the name Cisco be in front of the music was beneficial? Because I feel like Thong Song wasn't like a full-on gimmick song, but he's always going to be the Thong Song guy. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I appreciate you trying to be kind. No, I think it, it's. I think Thrift Shop was like always meant to be a gimmick song, but like I feel like Thong Song didn't come from like a gimmick place. It just became one. I don't know why I feel that way. I'm probably completely wrong. Can I be real with you? Yeah, I'm completely wrong. Oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm not. Oh no, no, no. I disagree that Thrift Shop is a complete is a complete gimmick song. I totally believe a hundred percent. That Macklemore buys into himself. Oh, well, I mean, yes, that is, <laughs> that is fucking obvious. So I don't think it's a gimmick song. I think he was talking about the way he lives his life. Uh, we'll have a lot of time to talk about Macklemore on the show one day. Um, <laughs> anything else to say about Drew Hill? Uh, no. Kelly Rowland stole. Kelly Rowland was always my favorite member of Destiny's Child. I'm just going to remind everybody I put that on the record a few times. 
you have. Um, and she is kind of the JC of Destiny's Child. She has her solo career. It doesn't do quite as well, but she still kicks around. Um, she had a couple of hits, a couple of movies. Um, this song. This is one of two. Oh, yeah. Uh, I... This is pretty indefensible. Well, that, I think her other solo hit at this time was with Nelly. Yes. She never had the right opportunity, I think. If we were saying that toward the end, uh, NSYNC sounded like a Justin Timberlake band and JC had established his identity and we already made the comparison, but you know. Right. Um, and then Kelly Rowland's gone on to have a number of like R&B singles. She's done well for herself, for sure. But this is sort of like post chill kind of waterfalls. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a moral song and it's, it's a little, grading for that reason i think there's two main things that rip me out of this song every time i try to listen to them one is how ugh, all right the lyrics of the song i pulled up rap genius just to see if there was any gold in here um because this uh, the lyrics of the song are clunky and embarrassing but like they come from a kind of purely intentioned place and the best bad stuff is is made that way see you know the Room versus the aforementioned Sharknado. Um, and right. also that hard slam to the chorus. Like, it's not even a well-written song. You know, but it wants to be. It, 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 yeah, it's just, it's, it's just not a, it's not a, it's not a star. Kelly is, but this is not the vehicle. Yeah, see, I, I can see that. I think this was, again, maybe like JC, they didn't know exactly how they were going to launch. And there were just some missteps when you don't have the backing of, you know, a Neptunes or Jay-Z. Uh, you know, but I think she could have. I, I don't think, I don't think Pharrell would have been like, I am not interested in working with the, um, the Oh, that's Destiny's not what Child. I'm saying. No, no, no. I don't think that was ever, I don't think it was an issue of lack of fame. I think there was just someone with more. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Mary's got the same size hands as Marilyn Monroe. She put her fingers in the imprints at Man's Chinese Theater Show. <laughs> what are we doing with these? Little Precious has a natural obsession for temptation that he just yeah, can't see. Yeah, you know, that's a really good comparison. She gives him a lovey living that his body can't handle. Ten million points for, for TLC representing that that HIV is a heterosexual thing. Like that, that, you know, not to like get all emotional and super social justice but, um, you know, the, the number one, I believe if I'm not mistaken, the number one rate of transmission is, is, is black women, mm. straight black women. And that's, that's just, that's not the same thing as what many people culturally understand HIV and AIDS to be. So, um, super beautiful that they, that they put a spotlight on the fact that it is heterosexuals. And by making it a white man in the music video, I think they hit a lot of guys. It, it, you know, good stuff. They just released a new album that they crowdfunded. I haven't listened to it because I want to be really happy. <laughs> yeah. Leave the memories alone. I think they, did they have a reality show to cast the new TLC member? Cast right did eye? That happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and now they're troll because now they're TRL. No, no, no. Um, this record, if I'm not mistaken, is just Left Eye and I'm sorry, it's just T Boz and Chili. And evidently, in my opinion, Left Eye's ghost. Yes. Speaking um, of ghosts, Aaliyah, miss you. Mm-hmm. 
we're Tomb Raiding here. This was from 1999. I, yeah, that's the thing. This is, you know, a posthumous single. And I understand that people want to make money off of the dead forever. And I think that's terrific. Yeah. Dead people should still make money. But I, look, I, you know, I, I don't want to say that there's a reason that a lot of um, cut tracks are cut. And I really love it when we get access to Tori Amos's vault and she releases a song that she's only ever teased us with the title of. And I think it's super awesome when, when artists do that. Um, I don't know that the mass market mass produced sound that Aaliyah had, because that's the industry and the genre and the, the nature of being a young woman in, in, in pop R and B. I don't know that she necessarily had that same level of control where every track was an absolute hit and she felt confident about them and only released. And you know, and she wrote a hundred songs, a record and only records 60 and then only, you know, takes those 60 demos and only does 30 and then releases 15. Like, I don't think that was her life, you know? No, and this was co-written by Genuine. This is Genuine and Aaliyah, what could have been a single in 1999. And despite that combination, which they probably could have written on name alone, this was vaulted. Like, this was shelved because it's it's whatever. Like, I don't want to speak ill of it because it's like the tribute song that she got, but it's the tribute song that they found. Yes, that's the problem. Uh, one of the things I love Jeff Buckley. I think Jeff Buckley has the greatest voice any male vocalist has ever had. I love Jeff Buckley. I, sometimes when they're like, and we found more, I'm like, oh, God, stop. Please stop. It's not just that he's dead and let the man be dead. It's sometimes some of it is better off left unlistened to. I mean, that's the thing. Like, these aren't like George Millier's movies where, like, these were lost because all of the the chemicals and film were burned to use to make, like, bullets and stuff in war. Like, this is stuff that artists were like, nah, this isn't good enough. Don't, don't release this. This isn't what I want coming out. Right. Yeah. Um, so when they find a new Jeff Buckley song every now and then, I'm like, oh, please stop. But what's really funny is my favorite Jeff Buckley album is the album that was released entirely posthumously. They found his demos for his second album and they released that as a two disc that was like, in the various stages of production and, and writing, and that's my preferred album. So um, sometimes it turns out really cool, and sometimes it turns out like this song. We saw this with Biggie and Tupac when they died, is they would just pull like, you know, a couple of lines, a, a verse, and then just have other people come in and build the entire song around that. At least that's not what Miss You is, but I still, you know, it's still pretty clear that Miss You is a subpar song that was dug up and reanimated so that it could make some dead Aaliyah bucks. Yes. All right. And that's, we don't need to go more into depth on that. Um, it's been a good run with Aaliyah. I, I'm assuming this is close to the last song. If they're mining stuff from 1999, I've enjoyed kind of discovering her. I knew a few of the songs from, you know, my childhood, from my youth, but I never really knew this many, never got this deep into it. Um, and I'm glad I did. Aaliyah was really fucking good. Yeah, uh, I'm telling you, if you go back and you listen to One in a Million, it's still a pretty solid record. Who is Amanda Perez with the song Angel? You know, I, I pride myself on the fact that I know so much music. Uh, I'm always so proud of that I know all these songs and I never have to look anything up. And I promise you, I had never heard of this artist. And uh, I eventually, 
I eventually looked up her uh, Wikipedia, which I'm on right now, so I can, you know. There's not much there. The, no, I beg to differ. This artist is so prolific. She has released she, uh, five. Yeah, she had a Greatest Hits album this year. I was about to say, she released a 15, tra- uh, 15 years of my music Greatest this? Hits album. Uh, and like, did we get Mandela? Who the fuck is this bitch? Like, I don't, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said bitch. I'm so sorry. I did not mean bitch. Like, there's a bad thing about her. I meant it. Like, I literally don't understand how this artist came out of nowhere. Um, but what's weird is, so only two of her albums charted. The third one, which charted in the United States on the top 200, uh, does not have a wiki for that album. Yikes. Which is weird. And that the one that, the next one that didn't chart on the, yeah. So her her second highest charting album doesn't have a wiki, but her third highest charting album does. Okay, sure. Why not? I mean, I guess she got sick of annotating her own discography. I like, but like when you click on her, when I clicked on the album, it's like Hand of Fate is the fourth studio album by artist Amanda Perez, released October thirteenth, two thousand and seven. Amanda Perez released two songs from the, uh, sorry, two songs related to the album, Radio and Don't Want to Love You on her personal MySpace page. Wow. Um, the Wikipedia for this song specifically says this was her highest charting single, which makes her a one hit wonder. But like, what did we get like Mandela affected? Is this like a Berenstein Bears thing? Like, we just came from a different timeline and have been jolted into this one. And we don't know this extremely popular song from March of 2003. What happened? Who is this? What's why do I smell toast? Dude, I, I, I really stick by my statement. I clicked on the Wikipedia for the for the the track itself and yes absolutely it appeared in the US at number 5 in the pop 100 and 20 on the billboard hot 100 where when i even listened to it and i thought it was just super generic oh yeah the song is um, nothing yeah it just didn't do it for me. that is the show thanks to nico as always for more Now and Again and a ton of other shows, head on over to cageclub.me. Write into the mailbag, nowandagaincast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter. I kind of changed my Twitter. Uh, sorry, Joey. I didn't really get Twitter when I signed up for it. So now I'm at Chris Podcasts because, you know, that's my real name. And I can kind of merge the Now and Again Twitter with my personal Twitter because I'm incapable of running two at the same time. We'll be back next week with side B of this utterly captivating album. Until then, we'll catch you on the flip side. Oh.